Welcome back to the Babylon and Dead podcast uh, special where we do our deep dives into Star Trek. Uh, I have Paul Anderson here from Strangers in a Cinema, which I got wrong last week. I'm really sorry, Paul. <laughs> That's fine. Don't worry about it. Everyone gets it wrong. Is it Strangers at the Cinema or Strangers from a Cinema? But yeah, it's all it's all good. You're not the first person to make a mistake, and you won't be the last. So I do appreciate the correction, though, Zig. It's all good. No worries. And if you get a chance to listen to the podcast, it is absolutely fantastic. It's everywhere that podcasts are at. Um, well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Ah, it's great. Now I wouldn't say it if, if if it wasn't. And and through the process, we've become we've I th- we've become good friends. Although we've had li- little personal actual like physical time at the moment, which sounds a bit weird now I say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, you made me feel a little bit awkward. I can't wait so this lockdown's finished, so we can get some physical time together. Thing, I look to it. <laughs> I think that's going to be a different kind of podcast entirely. Yeah. I think so. No, I know I would agree with that. Yeah, through working together on the podcast, you've guested on the, the show a couple of times now, which has been great. So yeah, it's always nice to work with new people, and it's even nicer to make new friends. This is going to be an emotional show, I think. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I think so, especially with the subject, which is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Um, is obviously the n- number three in the, the franchise. Weird thing that I found while doing research for this. I say research, work, watching the film and YouTube videos. But on doing searching on YouTube, you type in Star Trek 3 and you get Star Trek Beyond. Like, people think there's no Star Trek before the J.J. Abrams um, universe. So I guess that's setting me up for a bit of bit of anger for later on, maybe. Not for this episode, <laughs> yeah. but a bit of uh, J.J. hate, I'm not sure. Um, okay, we'll start where we always start with Star Trek 3. Um, uh, continues the story after the Wrath of Khan where we left... Uh, Kirk and Spock, um, Spock dead, um, put into a tube, uh, uh, a torpedo tube, and launched onto the planet Genesis that Khan had. Uh, some people say accidentally, but that was a very deliberate detonation. He wanted to destroy Kirk. Um, and as we were chatting about last time, this was a film that not many people thought was going to happen. It was all riding on Star Trek Two. We talked about how a lot of the people involved in Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan, got really, really um, infused, especially Nimoy towards the end. He had such a good time on the set um, that he and um, the director and the producers, all three of them came together and, and said, let's lay some threads for the next film. So they had no idea how they were going to bring Spock back, but they did... They did um, hang the threads as uh, as michael j straczynski did a lot in babylon 5 um and they pick up those threads i think really well like they had a plan for star trek 3 all along which mm. shatner says they knew what they were doing all along and uh, I, uh nimoy was just it's been messing with me this whole time like he knew exactly what he was doing and it's kind of reflected in 
a bit of the backstory of the production of Star Trek 3 in that Nimoy held out and held out and held out. Uh, and one of the stipulations for coming back and actually doing Star Trek 3, even though he's part of the reason for Star Trek 3, uh, is that he wanted to direct, to direct. And eventually the producers caved in and they gave him an opportunity to direct. And I think, you know what? It was a good call. What was your opinion on this? Uh, yeah, it, uh, is this his directorial debut? I may be mistaken. I, I, it's, um, it's definitely the first time that uh, uh, a Star Trek actor has directed, which would later become almost a meme in Star Trek. Um, yeah, yeah, it becomes very commonplace later on. Jonathan Frakes has directed a lot of Trek, I yeah, think, certainly. Yeah. Um, and Shatner has a go later on, but I can't wait to get there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> very excited to get to Star Trek Five for yeah, sure. Me too, me too. Uh, but no, we're, here we are with three for the time being. Yeah, I think I think it, it's nice that how the film. Uh, it, yeah, I think it's nice how the film follows on. Um, it does pick up almost immediately after the end of um, the end of Wrath of Khan for sure. So I think giving Leonard Nimoy a go at directing, I don't think is is a bad shout to be honest in, in this case because obviously it's someone with a passion for the franchise which is always nice um and i think it's nice to it's nice to give the cast certainly some involvement and i don't for the most part I, although i have some reservations about this film probably more so than the first two i don't think nimoy does a particularly bad job considering he hasn't done this kind of thing before mm -hmm. so yeah i'm kind of with you i don't think it was i don't think it was a bad shout to be fair yeah i'm totally with you with that i have uh i have i have notes on on this and I was actually quite surprised, like the, the nostalgia before watching this had kicked in. I thought, I'm going to love every minute of this. And there were a few moments, which we will we'll get to, where I was, oh, it's not quite as good as I remember. Um, so, I mean, I saw this in the movie theatre with my granddad, um, which sort of retrospectively doing this thing has made me realise actually how much my granddad loves Star Trek I realise he's taken these basically every single Star Trek up until his death in, in the 90s so um, maybe my emotions are tied up with that um, in that respect but as a kid again I liked it I, I, I was one of those kids that liked the motion picture I did like Rafa Khan um, and I kind of saw things out of sequences so I've got to admit when I saw Rafa Khan I saw it just after I saw this film because we went in we'd somehow both of us had missed Star Trek 2 and uh, we went to see Star Trek 3 and it opens with that montage which which is like in previous episodes of Star Trek yeah. Spock's dead <laughs> but I think they handled that really well that flashback sequence the whole thing of it actually being um, the uh, the flight the visual flight recorder um, is handled very very well and for someone that didn't know what 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 was going on with with Rafa Khan I had to go and watch the, the, the film again it worked I mean I didn't need to see Rafa Khan um, you um, uh, did you see them in order uh, I think I, I don't know I've got a feeling I may have seen this one first because I think Rafa Khan being that much darker um, than this one I think if my parents had their way I probably saw Search for Spock first and then Rafa Khan afterwards but if I remember rightly, the first time I watched this on Blu-ray or DVD, I can't remember which, but either Blu-ray or DVD, I was quite surprised that that opening bit was in there because I think in a lot of the TV edits, that bit where it harks back and shows you Spock's death again on the, like, the flight recorders, that was all cut from a lot of TV oh, edits, really? I think. Um, so it just kind of starts with the pod on Genesis. Um, so I think I, I had an idea, obviously, that they were looking for Spock, but not really a great grasp of what had happened to him. It is a bit vague, but I'm fairly confident I did see this before Wrath of Khan and then went back and watched wrath of khan so yeah I, I i would definitely advise people if they can is just watch things in order if they're listening to this right now <laughs> look 
you should have seen Star Trek by now. Like it goes without saying that these podcasts are spoilery. Um, but that I think that's a testament to Star Trek how you you can almost like comic books you dip you dip in at a certain part of the franchise and have to go back. It's almost like you're doing the flashbacks, and the stories yeah. themselves are strong enough to support that. There's not there's nothing in this film that relies on Rafa Khan. I mean, obviously the whole premise relies on Rafa Khan, but the story itself <laughs> is told so well that you don't. There's no. There's no. You're not missing anything by not seeing Rafa Khan really. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you're missing an incredible film, but certainly you're not missing out. You're not missing out on any story here. Like all, all the three, the three that are closely linked in the Genesis trilogy can all be watched standalone, including Star Trek Four. Like again, I, I think Star Trek Four was I probably even watched before Star Trek Three because it's probably the most one of the most fam, family friendly friendly of the franchise yeah. for sure. Um, but again, that picks up, and you don't need to know what's led you there. And again, with this, don't get me wrong. Like the context helps. But Genesis is pretty well explained in this, as it is in Wrath of Khan. To be fair, so yeah, I kind of like that the way they will they work as they work as standalone mm-hmm. films as well. And definitely with this, you know, there's you can have you can have fun with this even if you haven't seen Wrath of Khan at this point. Um, but watch it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's nice how the I've I've noticed have, have, doing these things. We're recording these actually quite some of them quite close together. Um, watching the films very close together, it's which I haven't done in the. I can't actually remember I've actually done this before. Uh, actually seen okay. like maybe a stretch of them I've seen, but I can't remember just going through the whole lot. So this is a, a really novel experience. But the tone is pitch perfect. The way it just flows mm. on from the previous film, you've still got the sort of sadness, which I, I don't think a lot of films would do today, like going to a film with that sort of feeling of sadness. I mean, Kirk seeing the, the good side, trying to see the bright side of things. But he's clearly yeah. The the opening yeah. is is a it's a gut wrenching moment still. Like that that end of the end of Wrath of Khan has lost none of its impact. Even even sort of at the beginning of this film, it's still yeah. You're right. It's a it's a genuine emotional and quite sad opening that yeah would would be bizarre in this day and age. Mm. I think. I don't think overall this film is again like Wrath of Khan. It's very simple. It had a slightly bit bigger budget than. Uh, this film had a slightly bigger budget than Rafa Khan. It didn't take quite as much, so in the studio's eye, it wasn't as successful. But it still made four times its budget, not not including advertising and, and, and print and mm. all that sort of thing, just so that it was production budget. Um, and I think in many ways, all of these films are very Star Trek in their own way, because each episode of Star Trek has its own sort of tone and its own flavour. And this is, I think... And the criticism is going to come out more later on. At points, it really does feel like a TV episode, more like a modern TV yeah. episode. But they did skimp a lot of corners on here where they should have actually spent a bit more money. I I felt like, especially in the sets. Um, yeah, some of the sets. Yeah, the, yeah, the Klingon ship, wobbly, for example. We'll, we'll get there. It's a bit, bit yeah. wobbly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so that's our preamble. Uh, let's get on with the story. So. Um, it opens with Kirk reminiscing, or uh, it opens, as you say, with with a flashback sequence in previous episodes, sort of um, uh, a flashback, which we then f- later find out that is actually the flight recorder. Interestingly enough, I, at the time I was like, oh, that's ridiculous, a flight recorder, because it's all got different camera angles and stuff. But now, with mobile <laughs> phones and the technology that we've got, there is AI cutting. So it doesn't seem so ridiculous. Mm. It would be quite interesting to see how youngsters <laughs> feel feel about that now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a narrative device. It, it it's 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 fair enough, and it's a it's a pretty 
it's a pretty slow me meander really back to to space dock really i mean it really does take yeah. its time to re-establish their characters and the feeling of melancholy on on the enterprise is is quite palpable i'm just trying to think of the the, the right order i think it basically starts off with the klingons doesn't it so there's a little bit of kirk well, yeah, so reminiscing that he's lost yeah it's a bit of kirk reminiscing well it opens initially after after it cuts from spock it cuts the planet genesis where you see the planet genesis is like a fully formed mm. ecosystem at this point um and then it cuts yeah then it cuts to enterprise fixed but kirk feeling lonely mm. is what i put <laughs> in the notes which i think summed it up well yeah this is um there's a and there is a team. So Savek and his son uh, David have been have been left on Genesis to do further investigation. Mm -hmm. We then cut to um, we then cut to some Klingons trying to get. They're trying to they're trying to work out essentially what Genesis is. Um, uh, we cut to some Klingons who've been double dealing with um, a human captain of some description who sells who sold them the Genesis data. Klingon warbird then decloats. Um, Christopher Lloyd's commander crew I think miscast here, but we can okay. get miscast terribly in this film. But we can get to that in a minute. Um, Christopher Lloyd's Commander Crew then um, takes the Genesis video, which is which is basically Kirk explaining Genesis, um, and destroys the ship and flies off. Yeah, and then we cut back to the Enterprise arriving at space dock. And this whole thing, I think, is really good. It's interesting. Let, let's focus on this for a minute. Like, I'm really, really interested on your take because the Christopher Lloyd that I knew at this point was the Christopher Lloyd from Taxi wasn't dot right brown. okay he wasn't dot brown yet so when i saw him in back to the future i was like oh that's a klingon warlord so my view of him is different i'm assuming your view is going to be he's dot brown yeah so yeah, yeah. And he's an actor that i like and i think i don't know he kind of bugged me less this time around when i've seen him in things like things to do in denver when you're mm -hmm. dead like that this role makes more sense to me but at the time i remember thinking that's dot brown that's not a yeah. klingon um, and he just felt he felt miscast to me. There's, for me, there's not enough threat to him for to be a Klingon. Um, I don't find him particularly threatening, and I don't find him throughout the film. I think the problem is is whatever villain follow came next is only, is going to be in the shadow of Khan. Um, and as a villain compared to Khan, he doesn't for me just doesn't do it. I think if the Klingons are going to be in this, and there's an argument which we'll probably get to later, is do the Klingons even need to be in this film? Um, Ooh, like. Okay. I, I, yeah, oh, this right, is okay. this is kind of one. Yeah, where 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 my thinking came around to mm -hmm. when I watched it today, is that I don't know. He just doesn't have the threat. He doesn't have the gravitas of Ricardo Montalban. He doesn't have the the threat of the character. Um, he almost it almost feels like they've just. I don't know. I just feel like they, for this film, I think they were desperate to get the Klingons into it. And I don't know whether for me this is where I would have introduced them into the movie series. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I kind of half agree with you. I think the tone of the film because the whole tone of the film for me feels a bit more grounded than star trek 2 star mm. trek 2 is very operatic star trek 3 is a little bit more grounded and the villains in this i think yes i totally see why christopher lloyd is to most people not right for the part um from my point of view i think he's great in the role i think he's 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 right for the part he's he does seem to be in a different film he seems to be <laughs> yeah. in more of his like art house uh, independent films like one flew over the cuckoo's nest i mean he's mm. his acting is so subdued that when you pair him up with shatner it does feel <laughs> like he's underwhelming but always as a kid i've always felt him really creepy and re-watching it this time especially after seeing it as many times as i've seen it it's the subtleties to start picking up on that i really do appreciate and i love the klingons in this i i i think 
the film would be nothing without the Klingons. Like for me, the heart and soul of it is the Klingons and the Enterprise crew. Like I, I, I think I love them. I love the the fact that the the hinted relationship between well, not even hinted, explicitly stated that the uh, the, the Klingon spy who hands over the data tapes to uh, Commander Krug. Set, uh, she indicates to him that she's seen the t- tapes and he's like oh that's unfortunate and with those few words you know she's fucked <laughs> and yeah. and the Klingons are just I think in this really ferocious I think they I, I mean they're later retconned to being the sort of splinter cell like a sort of mm. of the houses that tried to bring around the the problems in uh, undiscovered country um, but I, I really like it and there's and there's a couple of characters in the crew that we see a little hint of but they really get to shine a bit later on I think uh, Krug his second his lieutenant and the guy that seems to be the lieutenant to the lieutenant so you've got um, uh, yeah I, I guess it would be his, num- his number one I guess uh, well, yeah. we don't really get to see them yet so I'm not going to talk too much about that but I think the Klingons that whole sequence is great I totally get where you're coming from. It, I can't. I think I feel like Nimoy was going more grounded with this one. It was like, okay, we've had the yeah, see, operatic. Think, we need to go down a bit. I think this sequence is great in its own right, yeah. but then for me, the Klingons then disappear for far too long uh, in the story, and every time they reappear, it almost feels like they're putting in villains for the sake of putting in villains. The Klingons, the Klingons, to me, feel like an afterthought in this when the film, for me, should have been. I, is again not a, well I'll bring it up now because we're talking about yeah. it now I guess but for me I just feel like the film should have been more focused on the search for Spock rather than having the, the, the just the search for Spock I'd have I'd have been happy with that I'd have been happy without an antagonist in this to be honest okay, yeah. or maybe or maybe he could maybe Kirk clashes with clashes with the crew of the science ship um, of the science ship he clashes with um, uh, Captain Esteban or the guys on the science ship or it's him trying to win over David or something like that. I just don't know whether they just for me like there's there's a long there's now a long stretch of the film which we'll get to in a minute where the Klingons seem to be just conveniently forgotten yeah. about and then they reappear again towards the end. Um and just yeah, they feel a bit like an afterthought. Yeah, okay, me, I, 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 I get that. I mean I, I've always wanted to come out of that film seeing more of Klingon culture and what's mm. going on. I would have liked to have seen more of the infighting in the crew because it's sort of hinted at but it never really yeah. gets there. And and the and the same yeah, you're right. It's not I, I even as a kid watching it, I never thought there was much of a search. There, no. there was no, where is he? Can we can't find him? Blah blah blah. Oh look, he's there. He is. <laughs> yeah, there Found he is, him. Yeah. <laughs> Movie over, basically. So yeah, I I I I get that, but um, I I I love the Klingons. And moving forward, when we get to space dock, that's the sequence and a half that I like. That was cool. Yeah, I mean, that's beautiful model cool. work, don't you think? Well, some of this film looks notably cheap. Um, it yeah. does. We're talking about the, the Klingon ship. Going back to the Klingons very, very briefly before we get to Space Dock. The bridge on that looks like it cost <laughs> a lot. I, I reckon I could make it. I think I, it looked like it was made on Blue Peter for about 70 Yeah, the hand puppet um, dog looks like it's just <laughs> yeah. come off the set of Doctor yeah. Who, really, doesn't it? It's really yeah, and I sat there thinking, did they? I thought Wrath of Khan did well. <laughs> <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> But then the flip side of that is you then you get this incredibly like awe-inspiring space dock sequence that still looks great, um, that looks really really good, and they kind of the Enterprise kind of limps into space dock having been sort of hastily repaired, and I love I love like the metal plates that seem someone seems to have just nailed to the side <laughs> of the Enterprise to, to fix it up. Like that's that's great. You see you see like the 
like the the, the once jewel of the the star of Starfleet is limping into space dock, and then you see this uh, you see this brand new USS Excelsior, which is cool oh, to see, like this massive yeah. like Enterprise Enterprise beating um, flagship. Which um yes, Scotty's not particular. He's not very happy to see when they uh, when they drift back into space. <laughs> but yeah, that scene is yeah. yeah that scene's that scene's quite something to be fair. It just gives you an idea of the scale of the of the Starfleet operation for sure. I always thought that the, the, the weird bit that always stuck stuck out in my mind, and I really had to pause at this time and just make sure that I wasn't talking out of my ass, like I normally <laughs> do. But <laughs> when when the when the Enterprise actually pulls up in space dock and there's like the, the sort of the waiting lounge, the boarding lounge. And everyone gets mm. up and looks at the devastation on the side. So he focuses on one woman in particular. And I'm sure, and I've not been able to confirm this, admittedly I've left things to the last minute, but I'm sure that showman ran. Because it really does look it like It could her. be, actually. Yeah. And yeah. It, I thought I recognised her from somewhere when I watched it earlier. It's like there was um, a whole new... It's almost like there was water in her character. It's, it, this mm. is like a common trope in Star Trek. They like feature people heavily when they die or at certain points and you're like... Are we missing something here? Why are we focusing on this one particular person? It's it's odd. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an odd choice. Um, does she have something to do with uh, uh, William Shatner's uh, Kirk? Pfft, who knows? Who knows? But it is. She's a woman, Zig. Every woman's got something to do with William Shatner's Kirk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh this. Yeah. I, I, and I like the fact that this um, talking about like Scotty's little quips. Um, it's a, this, this is great, isn't it? As they're coming into space dock, um, one of the crews say, "Oh, it's, it's Chekhov, isn't it?" It's like the seals on Spock's quarters have been broken, and there's someone in there. And yeah. uh, Kirk, be, bit sensitive, goes down and checks it out, and break goes into the darkness, and he hears Spock's voice. Why did you leave me on Genesis? Blah blah blah. And he and he grabs the shadowy figure, and it's McCoy. And I think. Yeah. Maybe just because it's the the accident of the situation, it was a very last minute thing. Really clever. I never really realised how much work that um, the Forrest Kelly does in imitating or doing a sort of approximation of um, of Leonard Nimoy in this. They got very similar voices the way they play it as well, and the way the the sound have, mixes it's is quite, very. Well it's done. quite subtly yeah. done, I think. It's quite subtly done because it comes up again when when you kind of realise what's going on. That there's obviously the, he's had the um, the kind of leftover. He's Spock has given his catcher over to to jo- to Burt Jones to Bones, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. So there's remnants, certainly like more than well more than remnants of Spock's mind in in Bones in this, which is which is cool. He does it really well, and again, it's quite a creepy, kind of like a quite a creepy scene to mm. be fair. Um, in in the way they do it, and it's certainly quite effective because it certainly builds a sense of mystery. It was only kind of because I remembered what was going on that immediately I was like, ah, oh, okay, I know what that is. But I think I remember when you first see this, it kind of t- takes you by surprise a little mm-hmm. bit, um, and certainly is is certainly one of the more effective scenes, one of the most effective scenes in the film. I think this kind of introduction of that of that element. Yeah, this is like a DeForest Kelly episode, really. I mean, everyone gets like a moment yeah. to shine, but I th- he's great in this. It's it's a <sighs> one of the criticisms I'm just going to say it right now one of the criticisms is that as soon as they steal the Enterprise DeForest Kelly doesn't really have a lot to do no and and he's sort of set up to have quite a good story and and the same for a lot of the characters I mean they, they get their perhaps this is the first of the Star Trek movies that really sets up everyone needs something to do and I th- and Leonard Nimoy was very aware of that he was sort of went against the whole uh, idea of it's just the three of them 
we should give more screen time and everyone gets like a little bit of time um but we'll you know we'll get we'll get to that in a minute so they've docked they've come back as they dock uh obviously they had they find out that um mccoy's suffering from space madness and um they also discover that the enterprise is not going to be retrofitted scott is going to be transferred over to the excelsior um wh where he's going to be supervising their te their test runs uh it's kind of funny that they say especially in this where we see um where we see the new uh, starship that they say oh come on like the ship the enterprise is 20 years old she's getting old now whereas in next generation that ship is a hundred years old and still <laughs> going so it's it's kind of weird maybe they just mean like frontline or something and obviously they're not thinking well it's going to be a tv series in the 90s we're gonna to have to no. we're gonna have to plant some <laughs> seeds for that um and they hold awake almost as much for the enterprise as for spock and then sarek turns up mm. who we've not seen since the star trek tv series or the animated tv series and sarek is spock's father uh who in typical sort of vulcan manner gets gets snippy with kirk why did you leave my son there and assumes that um spock would have given his cartridge to um to kirk after they mind mail they find out it's not in there and this and shatner i think gives good good performance in this as well he's got a mean tracksuit game in this scene as well oh. <laughs> <laughs> he gets his hairy arms out again doesn't he he oh. does yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's he's uh, he, i think both of them are really good and um is it mark leonard yeah mark who plays um yeah Sarek. he's just good whenever he turns up i think he's every bit as good as leonard nimoy and it's great to see him pop up in, in various seats i mean he's great in next generation where he starts losing his logic um, yeah he's a great actor um I, I can't remember seeing him really in anything else um but quite quickly which i quite like is that after the mind mail kirk decide uh, says well we were separated by a glass wall so he couldn't touch me um but he would have found another way and they scan the security tapes which is basically shots from the previous film and um this is before this is after blade runner so there's a sort of blade runner moment where he's instructing the computers by voice but you know that, that that's fine they've been doing it for years um and discover that uh he spot my melded with mccoy and the two minds or two souls are trapped inside one body and they need to bring the forest kelly back so um the spirit of uh spot can be reunited and, and put back into you know whatever the wellspring is because at this stage they 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 don't really it's just a case of taking the soul and putting it back into the collective or laying it to rest isn't it they, they have no idea that cut to the next scene that on the planet things are not going quite as uh, as as well as yeah, it seems so to be so the USS Grissom at this point has arrived on the planet, captain by Captain Esteban, who we mentioned um, earlier. Um, and he has with them David and Savak, um, who originally played by Kirsty Alley in the first film, and in this film is played by, this is where I don't get to IMDb quick enough, Robin Curtis in this film. He's not an actress I'm particularly aware of, um, having done much before or since. No. 
Um, I could click a button and find out, but to me, it's, it's uh, kind of the first time I've come across this actress, who I think does a fairly reasonable job of Savak in fairness in this. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with her performance um, in, in here. She doesn't really have a lot to do in this film, in, in fairness. Um, no, and a, and a lot of her role with Spock has been cut out of this film as well. Uh, I don't know how much they actually filmed. Uh, I know... No, I was just going to say something, but we'll leave that for later. Um, okay. But, but the, there are there are elements to performance which are cut out, and and there is a bit of a backstory with why Kirstie Alley's not here. A lot of people say is is, is that she didn't want to be typecast, um, which seems to be the general consensus. Although there are several interviews with her as she is now saying that really isn't the reason. The reason was is that she was listening to her agent who said mm. you need to hold out this is Star Trek we're going to get you more money blah 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 and kind of naively she thought well they can't do without me because I'm in the second film what are they can do replace me and yeah they did um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't know is, is, is she difficult to, to work with she wasn't called back for any of the other epi for any of the other Star Trek films she's got a bit of a history not that that really matters it's a shame she's not she's not back for this and uh, they couldn't get her in because I just I feel like Kirstie Alley would have done a better job. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. To be fair, I think um, yeah, I, th I think you're right. Without yeah, definitely yeah, she's fine. But yeah, Kirstie Alley kind of did. I think Kirstie Alley did an above average job with not a lot of material in Wrath of Khan. Um, yeah. And I think she did a really good job of that. And I think yeah, she arguably would have been better here. But so yeah, so we find her on the planet with um, you know, Savak and Kirk's son David. Um, at this point, one of the scientists behind the Genesis Project. Um, they find traces of a life form, um, but Captain Esteban, the captain of the USS Grisham, isn't keen to investigate. Um, but they kind of, they kind of, oh, and then we cut back. Then we cut back to the point where Sarek arrives on Earth. So they beam down. So David and Savek beam down to the planet to investigate what this life form is. Um, and they initially find um, that it is um, some kind of mutate or heavily, rapidly evolving microbes that were on Kirk's, uh, Spock's. Um, torpedo canister for when they arrive but they open the canister and find that Spock's burial robes are there but there's no Spock and it's the first kind of seeds like Savick says to uh, David but how did they evolve so quickly um, and and you start to see a metric butler's Barrett um, you've seen David that uh, things might not be going according to plan there's something obvious that he's hiding um, mm. yeah everything I think Everything so far is just, it. If anything, it's a bit pedestrian at this point. The way it just sort of flashes back, it's just very perfunctionary. It gets on. It's nothing really outstanding. It's the dialogue between the characters that is quite interesting. Um, I don't. I never knew as a kid. What, was David and um, Savick having a relationship? Because that was hinted in the last film. But it's are they having a thing here? And then it gets obviously gets a little bit weird later on. Um, it gets weirder than the film actually shows, like, but that's 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 something for later on. But um, yeah, it's fine. There's the sprinkles of the Klingons, but again, as you say, it just it, it doesn't. It's sort of just there to to separate the scenes a little bit, just to get things going, aren't yeah, they? Really, it's kind of this. It feels to me like these kind of cutbacks to Genesis are there just to break up the action on the Enterprise at this point. <laughs> I don't really feel. I feel like. They're kind of taking their time a little bit at this point. It's not that it's not entertaining because I think the whole film, the whole film certainly moves at a pace that I don't remember it having. 
um but at the same time yeah there's there's a lot of this stuff that kind of that feels like filler like there's an unexplained noise at this point and then um they open the pods fox left his vera rogue and then we cut back to after some kind of unexplained noise insinuating that something's happened to the pilot then we cut back again and it kind of, yeah it just i don't know and then it, it just kind of bounces to and from for a bit and then you've got um this is kirk kirk then is trying to convince starfleet to be allowed to go back to genesis to rescue spock essentially <laughs> Um, at Savek's request and get, basically get Spock and Bones to Vulcan. Um, Starfleet have none of it. Um, and then we cut to a scene that I feel that is either a nod <laughs> to or a direct rip-off from the Moss Eisley Cantina scene in Star Wars. Always felt like that. Where yeah. Bones, yeah, where Bones goes for <laughs> Bones is going for a drink um, and meets some less than salubrious characters in a bar that honestly feels like Luke's trying to get Han to take him to Alderaan at this point. Uh, um, a, it's quite a entertaining. Yoda references <laughs> as well, basically, like the, yeah. the man who speaks backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a bizarre. Whether yeah, I, it, it, I, I, it must be deliberate. It can't be an accident. Yeah. I mean, it's quite if it's. It's quite funny. It's entertaining. Um, it's fairly clumsy, but it's an enjoyable. It's an enjoyable moment, I think, for sure. Um, he unfortunately, uh, Bones uh, is talking too loudly about going back to Genesis and is picked up by Federation security. Um, there's there's one bit that I really was uncomfortable with in uh, 2020, which is then the use of the term "we've taken him to the Enterprise Funny Farm." That that <laughs> term in Star Trek feels a little bit out of place for for something that is normally quite forward thinking and fairly. Um, you know fairly understanding about how to term things properly and, and representation um yeah funny farm feels a bit awkward in 2020 if yeah and then this is the phrase <laughs> i hear i hear he's as fruity as a nutcake yeah yeah like, isn't it should it be the other way around i don't know it was like like we said in the last episode it's one of those times where i thought have they got that right i don't know I yeah think, yeah so yeah. there's there's a couple of yeah there's a couple of lines here that by 2020 standards <laughs> don't sit that well with me um i'll be honest but and then yeah and in the meantime so we mccoy's picked up by federation security um we then cut back to genesis again um and they're tracking a second life form dum, dum, bum, <laughs> who could that be but before they reveal who that is it cuts back to kirk again um who visits bones in custody um and explains to bones that he's suffering from a mind meld um, deals with some um, Starfleet security officers in some really weird uniforms at this point, <laughs> yeah. some baseball hats with like really weird ribbing on them. I'm not sure what they were thinking Cheap, in the uniforms at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, this is where the film, you sit there and go, did, did, I thought Wrath of Khan did well. <laughs> like, where's the money spent on this? Um, so basically, Kirk and Sulu end up breaking Bones out of custody. Um, Uhuru is in her new post um, and helps the crew get on board the Enterprise. Scotty has fixed and automated the Enterprise, and this basically leads to them stealing the Enterprise um, from Space Dock, which is a pretty good scene again. I, I think, think this is despite the, the, the greatest eight, best eight to twelve set, twelve minutes of any Star Trek film. Yeah, it's a great, yeah. it's a great scene. Except for their outfits, I'm not sure. Did you did you recall what Chekhov was wearing here? He looked like a little Russian doll at one point. Yeah, <laughs> and Sulu's got that weird leather poncho thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, I don't know, George. It kind of feels like, I, I, if I was Simon Pegg writing the script, going, "Oh yeah, well, look, 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 Star Trek Three. Clearly, the way Sulu's dressed, he's he's got like a gay flair to him. I would yeah. have wrote him gay, basically." Uh, yeah, based on the leather poncho, I don't know. Maybe it's just, yeah. just like maybe, maybe I'm just not with it. Down with the kids these days, but uh, yeah, he's he's great yeah. though. But anyway. they all get like a, their own little role to play, and they play it really well. There's great humour in do, it. Yeah, a hero's yeah. bit with uh, the fly boy, so you know, Mister Adventure. Yeah, with the with the young lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. where he's saying to her, oh, I just don't understand. You've got 20 years of space experience and you just want to sit here and, and, and ugh, I, I, I don't get it. And she's saying, well, you know, maybe I like the peace and quiet. Well, maybe that's fine for you, you know, because your career is winding down, etc., etc. Um, and then Kurt comes in and it's a great sequence where she pulls the gun and then what does she, she say? Um, oh, this is not reality. This is fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your adrenaline getting up. It's just, it's, it's just wonderful, wonderful little sequence. Uh, it's, it's a shame that's where her, her sort of ends really yeah it's a bizarre one as to why they didn't why she doesn't jump come on board the enterprise for the ride yeah. i've always thought that was a i always thought it was a weird a weird narrative decision really i don't know why she doesn't why she doesn't come along it's not on she was like, i'll meet you at the rendezvous point and then they and then they steal the enterprise yeah. which is again as you say a great scene the the escape from space dock is really really good oh, uh it's like the music's good the effects are good it's a good sequence it's actually probably one one of the scenes that really makes everyone think that 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 uh, kirk is always breaking rules and he's a bit of a reckless sort of person but this is really the first film where he really breaks the rules i mean mm. he's he's quite by the book in the tv series um and this is quite a big decision with it maybe they don't play it enough i mean the decision for him to go and steal the enterprise happens really quick you kind of think well why don't you just hire another spaceship but maybe it just because surely that's treason stealing a military yeah I, saw, I do see what you mean it does it seems it seems to he's jumped he's jumped sort of jumped from naught to the nuclear option just like in the click of a yeah. finger and you're like right oh, we're going to steal the enterprise then like that to me even like even not it wouldn't just be kirk would be having second thoughts on that like are you going to come with me on this i feel that m more conversations perhaps should have been had around this and certainly maybe other options presented to him and failed before he takes the decision to to steal her stuff yeah, to steal a starship could have added, yeah i'd that agree could have with that added dramatic tension to the whole thing yeah um perhaps perhaps we're looking at it with more modern lens Right. Mm. Uh, a, a lot of the films for the 80s were pretty simple and straightforward and more of a sort of uh, the structure, the hold up, the special effects really more than anything else. I mean, today they would put in a lot more conflict, I think. I think Uhura would definitely come on board and, and play more of a role, especially with the yeah. with the Klingons coming up as well. Um, but it, it that's just a great sequence and the fact they hold bits back and when the doors are opening and and Kirk's like Scotty, yeah, okay, no, no, now would be good. Open the doors, and and McCoy being so, um, you know, unaware of what's going on, just kind of shitting himself, and um, the, the bit that always has always bothered me is when they get out of the uh, of space dock, and they shoot off up at warp speed, and the second starship comes along and goes out outside, which is and uh, they click on transwarp drive and get ready and the whole thing clunks down and then just stops and sounds like a broken uh, aeroplane <laughs> like a biplane breaking down or something it's really bad sound design for for a star wars film it's just it's just that, that for me that's always seemed like out of place like a cartoon <laughs> moment it's just weird yeah. um and but i mean this is the first star maybe not the first star trek but the it it's got a lot of space magic in Let's just lay it down. I'll put our cards on the table now. This is much more of a fantasy film than than even Rafa Khan, really. I mean, yeah, Warp Drive supremacy, but it, we're talking about you know space magic, aren't we? Vulcan space magic. I, I can't think of any other way to put this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's some 
massive hand waving. So, so for any co- people that, that that comment and say like the card's rubbish because it's not science fiction enough, go back and watch this film. This is all about space magic, really. And yeah. and they got yeah. space <laughs> wizards fair, yeah. at the end, transferring souls from one body to another. Come on, really? Mm. Yeah, it does. It stretches plausibility. Yeah, I mean it's Star Trek plausibility stretch. But yeah, there's always there's always a line where you stretch it. A touch too far and maybe this film touched on that although i kind of like that bit towards the end but <laughs> we're nowhere near there yet we're nowhere near there yet. um we're not so so yeah so they steal the enterprise um the uss excelsior uh, goes into the suit uh Mig- miguel ferrer's in this as a like one of the ensigns on the um on the excelsior yes. which is a nice touch because yes. i love that actor yeah i spotted him earlier and i was just like yep I've got, I've got, it's basically on my notes. I've got still good so far. That's what I've got <laughs> put in my notes at this point. So <laughs> this, this is, this is um, where it really starts um, picking up, really, and the next scene in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So Enterprise escapes at warp, as you've mentioned. Um, Scotty has done something to the Excelsior, which means it breaks down with a clunky special effect. Um, so we're back, we find ourselves back on Genesis. Savak and David finally find something. Who could it be? A human or a child in the snow? And quickly realise he's Vulcan. It's not. No, it is Spock. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's Spock, um, and he is alive and has been regenerated. Imagine if it wasn't. They find about three kids and none of them are Spock. Yeah, put the twist in. Um, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just carries on. Um, yeah, so Spock is alive and has been regenerated by the planet. He's a child at this point, um, but has been regenerated by the planet. And they think, well, how can he have grown this quickly? And again, this kind of alludes to the fact that there's something, not all is well on Genesis as they may have expected it mm-hmm. to be. Um so Grisham attempts to con the USS Grisham attempts to contact Starfleet, but is attacked and destroyed by Commander Krug and his Klingons. Uh, Sarvik and David rapidly realise that Grisham has been destroyed, um, and it cuts to the Klingons beaming down to the surface to look for the scientists. Um, there is a bit more discussion about what's happened with Genesis. It turns out he's used the banned uh, banned substance proto matter. Yep. Or proto molecule, if you've seen Expanse, <laughs> um, in the in the development of Planet Genesis, and that Planet Genesis. Um, isn't all is certainly not well on planet genesis the planet is aging rapidly and beginning to break down and spock is also aging far quicker than he should do because he's been sort of regenerated by planet genesis he's making so the whole planet the look like a cheap, all is not well. cheap, cheap set basically i mean everything starts yeah. looks artificial although i don't think that's that's actually in the script there's a re- the, the great <laughs> sequence nestled in the middle of this i love uh the the, the klingon first of all the klingon music the the Klingon warbird music here is the bird of prey music. Sorry, it's just fantastic. The James Horner. It's, it's very alien. Yeah. It's very oh aliens yeah, yeah. At this point, uh, uh, but it's absolutely. very good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. I hate comparing composers. I think. Or well, aliens is very this in fairness because this was this was two years before aliens. Yeah, to be honest, yeah. Like I, I, I think like, so, yeah. again, like like we said with the uh, Star Trek two, you can hear all of Horner's films. I mean, yeah, he is like Danny Elfman in that respect. Pardon me, not putting down his talent, but his palette is is is, is limited compared to other composers. But it's perfect. It's per- you know it's perfect here. I love, and you may disagree with me. I love the little sequence where they they come out of uh, the Klingons. They have the decloak to fire their torpedoes, and they decloak and they fire the torpedoes. And Krug is is, is says to his gunner, or his weapons expert. Um, target the engines i want prisoners and the gunner blows up the whole thing and he says oh it's a lucky shot and crew just shoots him yeah. and then his second in command says excuse me sir and he's like say the wrong thing like i i think his performance in that is just great he's just 
he's a complete fucking lunatic and kind of sets up we find out more about the Klingons later on and their culture and stuff but in this I, 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 they're ferocious or this particular band and you kind of see how the hierarchy works and maybe it's projecting it's projecting on my part my part but I love this is where you start to see the dynamics between the three players uh, mm. because at this point um, it's a bit later on isn't it when they start to actually looking at uh, analyzing the the, the Genesis data. Um, no, they've already seen the Genesis data. So the, the three characters have already seen it. You've Krug, you've got a second in command, and then you've got the the other one. Um, and the other one seems more like a reasonable sort of Klingon that we'd see later in the series. He said, "Oh, they can they can make planets. They can they can grow foods in in a day." And Krug is like, "Oh yes, that's wonderful, isn't it? If you can you can be there with your woman at your side." bag fluttering over a bugger off basically yeah. and then he starts chatting to his other one. so the whole thing's like run by fear and clearly he's like the, maybe they were going for that Darth Vader thing again maybe it's that Star Wars thing it's like you fuck up you just get shot but you kind of think how many how many times can you make a mistake before you have no crew which yeah. <laughs> this th- this film answers that later on but yeah. I, d- yeah, I, no, I, I love the bit with the with the Klingons as I said I just wanted more I want more of the politics more of the the backstabbing all that stuff I love and as kids we always loved yeah, it I, as well yeah no I, I agree with you and I think yeah again although what I said I wish someone else had been playing Commander Krug I, I do it's not like I dislike all the bits of the Klingons I just still think even at this point they're still like they just appear so briefly that even though those bits are entertaining they just still feel like an afterthought to, to everything else that's going on totally. um which yeah which and I, I thought my mind might change on that this time around because obviously my mind changed a bit on uh, motion picture but yeah they just still felt like an afterthought even, even here um so this is around the point where um enterprise kind of starts to arrive enterprise arrives in the genesis system and if some otherwise mistaken at this point uh yeah so crew beams down to the planet because there are life yeah. forms why they don't just beam down right next to life forms is never explained everyone beams yeah, miles away from people them, yeah. Yeah. the plot says they have to walk somewhere to yeah. get somewhere you know not even hand wave er the, it's the magnetic flux or whatever they just don't make any effort they just go fuck it we're just going to beam down miles away from anywhere <laughs> i hadn't thought of that until just now but yeah that's yeah it's almost like so they can just add add transition shots in if people walking around the planet because oh, yeah, they sh- of show off the amount of money they spent on the sets mm. <laughs> which interestingly nearly got burnt down side note Oh, wow. In the middle yeah. of this, there was actually a fire in the Paramount that lock. It destroyed, I believe, uh, A Street or a couple of New York facades. So they were all completely screwed. Stage 14 or 16, either side, basically, of the Star Trek stage uh, was burning. And stage 15, which they were shooting on, which is one of the largest in Paramount's lot, at least, was starting to burn. And again, they thought they were initially the idea was to go to hawaii and film this in hawaii which i think sh- they should have done and yeah, they would have addressed hawaii to gradually seem more and more degraded and clearly that's what they should have done but instead they thought it would be cheaper and easier to do it in a um inadmittedly large studio and it does work for some things i mean around about this time we've got uh, ridley scott's um legend which is all shot in the 007 soundstage which also had a fire which is maybe there was people that just didn't you know maybe it's the film crews around the world going well we need to do location shoot and stop shooting in studios whatever 
turned out to be i think an electrical fault or something um but this is where shatner actually did a bit of a captain kirk along with other crew members that were filming that day jumped in helped put out the fire along with the the fire service and everyone on board and they managed to save the set so it could have been much much, oh, wow. much more yeah. dangerous and there's really interesting footage on youtube that people should watch of, of shatner like literally just covered in soot and dirt just hyped like he's he's buzzing his tits off because he gets he's playing real life <laughs> captain yeah. kirk but you genuinely lives were saved in that it could have been a really wow. dangerous horrible thing and right in the middle of the shooting um but apart from that this seems to be a very event um stressful a stress-free filming event you've got leonard nimoy who knows actors who had a really good rapport admittedly it's difficult with william shatner at the beginning shatner admits this himself he found it for his ego couldn't handle it for a while but after a while after he saw the dailies and what was going on he really settled in and this was one uh, it's all a reiteration of the thoughts that that uh, Nimoy felt at the end of Star Trek 2 that actually this is an enjoyable experience and because he's directing he didn't want to really be in the film so we've got to say that I think Nimoy took the correct choice especially for I'm sure this is his directorial debut um, to have his character just appear a few times in the film notably mm. at the end just because he just thought that um, he needed to focus on the directing because it was a new thing for him and he needs to concentrate on it and it's Star Trek and I, I, I think he, he, he does the right job here and it, it allows the rest of the crew to have their um, their moment to shine uh, at times it does feel like the William Shatner show more than anyone else especially when we, once we get to the planet as you say not there's not there's not much searching there's not much going on at the moment uh, no and no but this is we're not quite there to the part where it sort of falls down for me but we're getting close mm. um so as you said the the enterprise now turns up and i noticed on this edition the uh distortion field because the the uh the bird of prey isn't completely invisible it's bending light at this stage you can see it really clearly on the view screen on, yeah. on the yeah. Amazon copy, which also I have to say, the Amazon copy is terrible. It's, oh, no, it? okay. it's not good at all, so Amazon sort that out. Um, the Blu-ray looks quite nice. But it's quite nice how they deduce it, and Kirk's now like thinking, I'm not going to put myself in the same situation I was before. He's very wary, very cautious, more Kirk-like. And between him and Sulu, they're like, do you see that, that shimmer on the screen? Just there, a little distortion, what do you think that could be? And, and they're bouncing ideas around, and he's trying to figure out um, what's going on? They deduce that it could be enough energy to cloak a ship. This is a nice moment because it shows it's a callback to Rafa Khan, where he feels like he's learned his lesson, yeah. like without a doubt. And yeah, I, I, I picked yeah. I picked that up more this time around. Where I think it's probably because watching the two films quite close together um, is is what's done it. But yeah, I definitely picked that up more this time out. Is that actually yeah, this is him going. I got I got done over last time. I'm going to be more cautious here. And then as just as the Klingon cloak D ships to fire a torpedo, Kirk fires first, which is a good. Again, yeah. which is a, a complete flip on its head from Ralph of Khan, which is a nice touch. And crew doesn't know at this point how, in what kind of state the battle cruiser's in. And from the Klingons' point of view, I mean, they even say it's a Federation battle cruiser. They don't, yeah. Um, yeah and, and they kind of mention that a few, a few times. But you know, they're Klingons. They're going to kapla. We need to 
we we need to just be brave in the in the face of overwhelming odds and uh, there's a there's a little bit of a mini battle um and i think this is a good little sequence where the intellect of both cap captains play off each other again you're right i think i can't think what actor off the top of my head around at that time or who would have been you know gabriel byrne perhaps would have been too young that seems to be my go-to all the time it's like just put gabriel byrne in something um but yeah i think a strong <laughs> they needed some kind of stronger character in here and it's interesting how krug doesn't want to reveal his face like they, he listens to the message mm. and at first he's like why is he just talking to his is this this is the moment this is the moment where Kirk <laughs> where Shatner does the ridiculous turn to camera like I'm talking to the Klingon yeah, commander and that? he just like looks back over his that? shoulder is that what, kind of like was there shot around. someone yeah walk, so bizarre walking <laughs> around or something I don't know it's weird I don't know, but it just look, it looks like he does this like dramatic turn to camera, like he's some kind of game show host. He was like Klingon Commander, come on down. Oh, it's a very it's a very Shatner moment, shall we say? Like, yeah, very, very peculiar. That, yeah, that kind of jumped out on me. I was just like, what's going on here? Um, yeah, so they kind so yeah they re they return fire. Um, uh, yeah, they return fire, um, but the Enterprise can't raise its shields because it was because it's badly damaged and obviously hasn't gone through a full refit. So the Klingons return fire, um, and the Enterprise takes some damage. This whole this whole mm. kind of to and fro for me is it yeah. looks good, but for me we've just seen this done better in Wrath of Khan. This is kind of kind of I think part of my problem with this scene. It's just like yeah, okay, you've got Star Trek, you're going to have space battles in it. I get that, but this whole oh one ship's yeah. disabled, the other one's damaged. I was just like we've just seen this. I saw this last week. Obviously, there's more than a week between the two films, but um, yeah, it just so felt like a well. little bit of a lazy retread of that, and for me, a couple of shots. I, I know the, the bird of prey is yeah. a scout ship and is not a battle cruiser. Yeah, okay, I get that, but I would, yeah, I would like to have seen a little bit more. Maybe the bird of prey trying to evade them a little bit more. Um, a little bit. Again, it comes. Down, I guess it comes down to the budget, but I kind of feel like how did Ratha Khan do it for two million less? No, was it two million more? I'm gonna search that. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's a good sequence. Krug uh, realizes or surmises that maybe the Enterprise is not as operationally fit as um, as Kirk is indicating, uh, and then makes a quite a bold move. It's like uh, Kirk offers terms of surrender for the for the commander or the captain of the Bird of Prey. Gru turns around and says, no, 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 it's not me who's going to surrender, it's you who's going to surrender. And there's a bit of a face-off. Uh, and then, oh yeah, at this point, which happens really quickly, I mean, I don't know what... There's that little scene before where they see the three little grain of wheat light bulbs moving across the, the painted background. Again, terrible effect. And they're like, oh, they're really close. And so the... I, I get it, maybe it's a product of the 80s. Savick's the trained Starfleet officer stays with Spock. Uh, he's going through Ponfar. That's that's fair enough. Um, Which is come kind of Vulcan puberty, I guess, would be the way I'd describe it. Like the burning of the blood. So it looks very painful. I think there was a, there's a couple of episodes on, on original Star Trek that go through it where you, they, the, the emotions have become too much. Um, um, and it, it we don't even see him take on the Klingons. And that would have been a great little moment where he's trying to fight off the Klingons, but he gets overwhelmed really quickly or whatever it's just like he goes off to fight them comes back and um they've got the the 
the three hostages and Krug says to Kirk well I've got some hostages down here and just to show you how serious I am if you don't I'm going to kill people I'm going to kill someone right now and he just says to one of his officers just I don't care kill, kill any of them and you kind of see the brutality of, of this man in particular and of at the time we were told of the Klingon people in general um almost cartoony yeah. violence but for a young kid it's I like how it's handled this whole sequence where they're choosing the Klingon warrior down on the planet is choosing out of Spock who is now aging rapidly he's now like a teenager um, uh, as we said he was going through Ponfar but Savik has, has gone through the ritual with him uh, initially apparently she, she, get, she gets it on with him but this is not in the film. I don't know how far they got with that idea. Um, but she goes through the ritual with him. Yeah. Uh, so they're all three there. We've got David, Savick, uh, young Spock, shall we call him, and the Klingon warrior wanders around with the knife trying to choose which ones. And then he flicks open the little double blades, the little spikes, that the, the dagger comes out, indicating he's going to go for Savick. David leaps in tries to fight it's all told just with no music undramatically and he's dispatched really quickly and i've seen a lot of discussions on this and people are really disappointed with how quickly he's dispatched but i think for me that's a really good decision the fact that he yeah i think it makes sense well a, he's a yeah. scientist for a start um so that makes sense and it also shows the it shows the brutality of the klingons as well i think um, that they they mean business really. Yeah, I don't have a problem with how quickly he was dispatched. Ultimately, yeah, if it had been if he'd been one of the crew or Kirk or someone or you know Spock or I mean an adult Spock, like you'd expected a bit more of a fight, I guess. But he ultimately is a scientist. You know, he's not a trained fighter and he's up against the Klingons, so I don't really see that he stood much chance, <laughs> much chance at all, to be fair. Um, and I think it, yeah, then adds to it then adds to, certainly, and then having David die adds to the weight of it, and then you get one of the one of my all time favourite Star Trek lines when Kirk realises that his son David has been killed, when he just says, oh, I think twice or possibly three times, you Klingon bastard, you've killed my yeah. son. I mean, we're laughing, <laughs> it's like, but it's, it's it's a great scene. It's yeah, great it's scene. pretty savage. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Good performance by Shatner. Apparently, that was take two, because they didn't know he was going to stumble okay. and fall. They thought he'd hurt himself, and I'm like, no, 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 right. just part of it. And the second one, they did it, and they thought that. The, no, we uh, jest because it's a it's a strong line. Yeah, it's we jest mainly jest because it's I yeah. think it's an iconic Star Trek line, but it is delivered well. To be fair, yeah, absolutely, it's the kind of line, dramatic line that yeah. Shatner's good at. Um, and he for just sure. plays really nicely. Um, it, it's sort of in contrast to Khan, and this is where it does invite comparisons because they do they. They, they do and you're right they don't re it doesn't it doesn't play out as strongly as it should I think you either go one way or the other and they didn't go far enough in terms of perhaps the realism or the but brutality of the of this clan of Klingons and Kirk says okay I'm gonna surrender um, just give me a minute to sort sort out what I'm going you know sort tell my crew let them know and he says oh, I'll give you two minutes for you and your gallant crew uh, which is a, a counter to Khan who only gave him a minute um, and at this point the two haven't even seen each other they haven't seen each other on the few screen no, it's he want, because Krug, want, Krug yeah. wants the ship Krug wants the Enterprise because yeah. it's got the Genesis data on it he believes it has the Genesis data on it so he wants yeah. the Enterprise at this point so he gives Kirk two minutes to surrender and basically get off get off the ship because he's going to take over the Enterprise so 
they beam off, don't they? So basically, Kirk sets the self-destruct sequence for the Enterprise. Um, Kirk sets the self-destruct sequence for the Enterprise. They then beam off the ship to the planet's surface, although that's kind of ambigu yeah. ambiguous at this point, I think. They beam down to Genesis' surface. Uh, and then the Klingon, as the Klingons beam onto the ship, they get to the bridge. So they realise they they call Commander Krug, who's just sitting there, say, oh, it seems empty, but there is a voice. And then it's like 10, 9, right. 8. Yeah. So like, get off the ship, get off the ship. And then they, they destroy the Enterprise. Yeah. This is a cool moment. Like, and the Enterprise blows into a lot of pieces. And that is quite an emotional moment when you see it careering through space. Yeah, yeah. Like, in bits. There's no... It's not like it's the badly damaged. It is destroyed at this point. Like half the saucer section is completely ripped away. I think one of the engines is gone, and you just see it slowly go down into the atmosphere of the planet Genesis and like burn up as burn up. And then it cuts to the crew watching it as it goes down into the atmosphere, and they're like, oh, "Have I done the right thing? What have I done?" And then you have this great uh, Kirk and McCoy moment where he's like, "What have you done?" He was like, "You do what you always do. You've 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 like basically grab victory from the clutches yeah. of death essentially like you've done you've done what you always do which is a nice which is a nice moment but quite emotional to see the enterprise destroyed actually to be fair and i think quite shocking yeah, very at the time because um, that's the, it's the one thing you think okay it will get damaged but it won't get blown up it's not the first time it happens in the series but it's certainly one of the most powerful times it happens in I've the become, movie series I think. almost becomes a meme later on it's like can, yeah can you not like you need to save that for special moments really like seriously yeah it can't just happen all the time or no, not when you like, separate <laughs> separate the ship no stop separating the ship <laughs> oh my god we will get to those episodes i promise <laughs> yeah um, but the whole sequence good the way it's counting down um it's a big deal i remember this the ship blowing up i remember there being controversy uh about it again this is pre-internet this is just like letter writing in starlog magazine and stuff um I don't know what people would think of it now. Um, if a similar, it's like blowing up the Millennium Falcon. That's that that's how mm. iconic the Enterprise is. And I don't need to tell anyone listening to that that that's what's going on. But it is. It's just a, it's a wonderful moment. You don't think they're going to do it. They do it. They get down to the planet, and um, yeah, this is for me where the film starts getting a bit dull and tedious. It just. It gets a bit dull. It gets very rushed at this point, I think. I think they, they kind of sit there and go, okay, uh, right, well, we've got... I don't know whether there's a longer cut in existence. Um, feels like there might be, I don't know. But then, essentially, Kirk... So, so at this point, so Kirk and the crew are on the surface of the planet. They go and find uh, Savek, uh, the now-deceased David, and the now uh, the sort of increasingly aged Spock. Um, they find them. They kind of realise it's Spock. They have that moment. Um, Kirk says goodbye to David which is kind of a bit of a wasted yeah. moment to be honest he kind of just puts a jacket over him and then comes back and stands mm -hmm. with the rest of the crew and then um, by my estimation well I remember what happened um, yeah and then you have just for this whole thing feels very rushed he has a brief conversation with Zavik and then he just he kind of immediately then um, calls down he basically calls out Krug doesn't yeah. he he's upset he wants he wants to he wants to confront Krug he calls out Krug um, antagonizes him a bit which for the loss of his crew um, and this is another like no, which, inviting comparisons to the previous film. Tried to, I call it yeah, like the Khan. Yeah, which so. didn't work for Khan. Yeah, absolutely. So he, yeah, so he um, he antagonizes him. Crew comes at this point. Sorry, Genesis is destroying itself. Um, so there's the 
the process has really escalated at this point. Bits of set have fallen off all over the place, um, and you can see the planet starting to tear itself apart. So, like the 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 aging process has, has sped up considerably at this point, and there there is the general threat that they may they may the planet may get destroyed without them. Obviously, at this point, there's no enterprise to get them to safety. Um, but again, that's all kind of no one really comments on that. Like, yeah. how are we getting off Genesis at this point? It's just kind of they seem to be in a rush to call down the to to, to call down uh, commander krug to the planet um commander krug beams down to the planet and has i'm sorry dig on this one one of the oh, shittest fights that i've seen I'm, I'm committed to screen the fist fight here is appalling like shatner's in no shape to be doing it's this stuntman wasn't like shape to do uh, this. that's how bad it is no it's stuntman exactly yeah it's just a really really crap fight scene between mm. christopher lloyd stuntman and, and william shatner stuntman there's no emotional weight to it it's just it's embarrassing oh, to watch terrible. to be honest like, i almost it almost have to i almost have to just sort of hide my eyes and i'm just like is this is this really happening maybe this is why khan and khan and kirk <laughs> never met because they just couldn't have had a fight <laughs> uh, but yeah this this fight scene is kirk i'm sorry the, it's crap the double it's so bad strike to the back of the neck thing yeah he does yeah he jumps this time around because he kind of jumps down on top of him and then it's like he's gonna save him then he isn't gonna save him then he kicks him into kicks him into the lava all in about three or four minutes and then suddenly krug's gone and you're like okay well that guy's dead um again for me wasted wasted opportunity for villains i don't think they made enough of them like and then and then they kill him off 20 minutes before the end of the film because they've got this whole Yeah. yeah yeah it's a very quick and very badly handled fight scene um he dispenses with Krug um, with relative ease, considering how threatening he's supposed to be. Um, they trick. They basically. He then talks Klingon, gets gets everyone beamed up yeah. to the Klingon bird of prey. Most um, and <laughs> yeah, my Klingon. Yeah. Well, that that yeah, good, and Chuk Book Ray. That's all I know. In Klingon. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You'd be given <laughs> lessons before you know it. <laughs> so they get beamed up to the get. They trick. They trick the remaining Klingon crew member into beaming up to the ship. Um, and easily subdue him um, and basically take over the Klingon bird mm. of prey at this point. Yeah, it's just... Uh, they're just in it's a not, rush. It's not the strongest no. bit of the film, is it? And, and you're right. I, <laughs> yeah. should, I don't know how they could have worked it. I feel like they just wrote themselves... Well, at half Bennett wrote this. So I kind of feel like he just wrote himself into a box. Okay, Krug's on the planet. How are they going to get off? Uh, oh, okay, I don't... Like, this is the point where they need to have like a chase to Vulcan or something where they somehow the the Klingons got a backup war bird of prey. Maybe there were two of them or something like this. And there's a battle on the yeah, way Yeah, it's just back something because you need something. Because you've, you've, you've just seen the Enterprise, you've just seen the Enterprise destroyed and then you get a crap fight scene. Like yeah. there's no, it's just complete anti, it's so anticlimactic. And then like, even when they get onto the war bird, you're like, oh, they might, uh, they might struggle to take the war bird, yeah. the bird of prey, sorry. Um, once they get onto the bird of prey, you're just like, there's it's just one like, guy on oh. the bridge. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That's it. We're done now, are we? That's, that's, and then, and then off they go to Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, I have to. Hands up, confession time. This is the moment I started watching this, and I was like, "Oh fuck it, I'm gonna put the laundry out." I couldn't. I really. <laughs> I, I've never liked this this sequence at all. It's just for me. This is like the uh, space dock sequence for you, out the Star Trek. This is just yeah. oh fuck. It can't. It's just. I know it's dull. It's tedious. I know it's important. Is this the? This- the space wizard scene on Vulcan yeah, is this the, is this yeah, the closing the space, moments you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, so space wizards. So they, Ugh. 
yeah the reunion the refusion of his um catra and his body so they basically they they remove um spock's catra or his essence from mccoy and put it back into spock at this point it is a bit of a weird definitely far too long sequence considering how much they've rushed to get here i think at, i think at the i think it's around about the 90 minute mark or 85 minute mark when the kind of when the climactic fight scene ends and i'm like well what's going on for the next 10 15 minutes because it runs an hour 40 and you're like oh no we've got a solid 10 minutes of this scene now which is which I, I don't know it kind of looks it's kind of cool to see a bit more of Vulcan culture I guess but then it it ends with like the sequence ends and there's a risk to there's a risk to McCoy and McCoy's willing to take the risk which is a nice touch that he's willing to take a risk for um, Spock because he's, he's kind of set up that they've never they've well they've never massively liked each other but I think there's a there's a respect there so that's quite nice but then you kind of so the the process of reunification refusion surprise surprise it works um <laughs> And then you get almost like this kind of sitcom ending where they're all just they're all just sort of round having a hug with Spock, yeah. like oh he's back. <laughs> they just like throw throw some crisps in the air or something and cat those yeah, will jump yeah. up in the air and celebrate. Totally, it's a bit totally. of a it's a bit of a weird end to be honest. And I kind of feel, I I love look I love Star Wars and it's fine. I like no no Star no Trek. no Star Wars. I get I get Star Trek. I, oh, Star I love Wars. Star Wars. Okay. And I and you know I I can I can deal with space magic up to a point, but in Star Trek this has always bothered me. I kind of wished, and I still remembered like as I started watching the sequence, I I literally was transported back to being a kid, remembering what I was thinking at the time of being a kid, thinking, oh, what, don't they have like a machine to transfer? I thought there'd be some sort of they're so technologically advanced that it almost seems like magic. Yeah. There's something else to it, you know. Um, but no, it's just space magic, and it's. It also, I think, opens the film up to um, the audience to start thinking back on what they've just watched and start pulling the film to pieces, which is what I do every time when I watch a new sequence. I sit there going, "Hang on, if his catcher is that important, and Sarek's the uh, the ambassador to Vulcan, why didn't the Vulcans just give Kirk a ship? I'll get you have my spaceship." And you go to Genesis. Yeah, yeah. Or where's the where's the diplomatic request to Starfleet to go? Can we can no, take this to like, Genesis, no, Kirk, please? You'll find a way. Yeah. You know. You, there we go. You need to prove to me how much you love my son Spock. It's just it's weird. Uh, do you know what? I didn't think of that until just now. But yeah, or as I said, a diplomatic like just ask Starfleet if you can send a ship with with Kirk yeah. to Genesis. Like I don't. Yeah. Or as you say, give him a ship. That is off like, why does... they can't. But you think, come on come on you're falcons you have like inherently in your society a kind of distrust a dislike of uh humans i mean it's not really fully established here but in later series it clearly is and you just think i always find this moment is the moment where i start my mind starts wandering i'm like wait a minute wait a minute what 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 what's going on i don't i don't uh, i mean it's not it's not last jedi force awakens level of nonsense it's not space horses running on a star destroyer when the <laughs> star destroyer could just like tilt to the side by 35 degrees and everyone would just fall off and that would be the end of the movie <laughs> yeah that that's how you deal with it fucking imperials idiots <laughs> um yeah i i rewatching this i literally got to the point where i felt i I can't I can't watch I can't watch this this is doing my my head in I need to go and just I'll hang up my washing I was listening to it had it on full bore 
and the TV's like just by the back door. I didn't need to see it. I'd, I'd, I'd seen it all before, but at this point, I was like, oh, I don't like it as much as I remember it. And, and no. that was the thing I took away from this. Was like, there's a lot of missed opportunities. This is, as much as I think the directing's really good and I love the characterizations, I do feel like <sighs> it's not as tight, it's not as clever, it's not as good a film on its own as uh, as no, Rapid Fire. I would, I would agree with that. Or even a motion picture for my money. I, I preferred motion picture this time out, I have to say. And I, I think this this is, don't get me wrong, like it's a pacey, fun sci-fi adventure. It's not a bad film, I would say. I think it's, it's still certainly not a bad film, I don't think. Um, but com- if you compare it to what's come before, especially when it comes this close to Wrath of Khan, like, I think there's, there's too many moments where it's trying to be Wrath of Khan and not trying to be Search for Spock. And I think for me, the best bits are... It's uh, for me probably the best bits are up until they find Spock. Once they find Spock, I think for me the film kind of goes yeah. downhill a little bit. It's it's a it's a it's I find it a disappointment. Um, even oh the adventure continues at the end. That's that that's fine. I don't know. I don't know why it, why this time round watching it. I just felt really disappointed at this point. Uh, being older, more maybe just more distant from it, seeing the holes in it. I'm trying to put it into context with other movies around that period. That like most films of the 80s didn't really have an overly complicated script or an overcomplicated story. There were you know there's outliers, but generally speaking, 90 to 100 minutes. That that was the advice of scripts at that day. Just get in quick, get out. You know, yeah. get, get in late, come out early. Um, I'm disappointed by this. I'm much more disappointed than I thought I would be watching this. Actually, it kind of it lived up to my. I think we discussed when we did the last episode that I was kind of like, yeah, this is the one where I thought I'll be interested to see if my mind changes because I've never uh, the the uh, what this is the third time I've seen it. I'd say as a grown up, <laughs> shall we, for want of a better description, as, as an adult, shall we say, I wouldn't describe myself as a grown up at any point. But yeah, the third. Third time I've seen this as an adult, and every time that this kind of leaves me a little bit cold towards the second half. As I said, there's good moments in it. There are. Um, there's good in it, um, but yeah, it's always left me a little bit cold. This one, and especially after Khan. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, well, I do know it's not my favourite. It's not, again, it's not my least. It's not the worst of the Trek films, but I think compared to Khan and watching it so close to Khan, I think it's probably where it's come apart yeah. for you a little bit. I think if you kind of watch it standalone, you think, oh, it's fun, it breezes along at a fair old pace, but almost, but not back-to-back, there was a week in between watching them, but that's, you know, that's as yeah, yeah. near as damn it, um, kind of back-to-back. Like, it certainly suffers compared to Wrath of Khan, for sure. Totally, totally. Um, I don't think... I, we're gonna, we, we'll see when we get to five um, how this compares to five. Uh, in my mind, like five for me was where, was the one I think I was going to have the biggest problem with. I'm, I yeah, I'm just I'm just surprised by how how disappointed I am at, actually with this film. I I do like Lloyd as Commander Krug and the Klingons. I just wanted more Klingons. I wanted I just wanted a bit more, and I think that's probably due to the fact that they rushed into it. Uh, perhaps it was because mm. it's Leonard Nimoy's first film. I mean, they didn't really have any second unit on this as well. Not like today where they'd have a specialist acting action director who would direct yeah. all that stuff so you can just get on with the the, the film stuff with the I just made air quotes on radio can you, can you believe I just did that that was really stupid 
That's because I did it. I did it on the last episode, I think, didn't I? I maybe it was maybe it was on strangers, oh. but yeah, I've had a habit of doing that, and now I I describe it as I've just made bunny ears. <laughs> listeners, so. Oh my gosh, it's it's the thing. Look, it's a great, it's a good film. It's a, it's a great film. Um, it's it's just. I'll, I I I think maybe at the end I'll, at the end of this whole process, it's yeah, a fun it's film. It's a fun film. I would the, say the original yeah. cast maybe i'll sit down and try and work out which ones i prefer over the others and reserve comment until then uh but for my money so far this is the weakest of the three um valiant attempt by leonard nimoy um and and everyone involved it set up a lot of the uh, i don't want to say cliches but the tropes of star trek the sort of rebellious captain kirk um hmm. the whole thing with the enterprise constantly being blown up which is not a trope that should have continued like how no. many times in jj abrams it's twice isn't it the enterprise gets destroyed i want to say yes, twice i think or so. like nearly twice into darkness it's like almost like yeah every every and then you've got the next generation yeah oh. yeah nemesis it gets destroyed yeah. i'm sure it no. does oh. um it's yeah good, does it yeah because they ram it into the, the scimitar don't they yeah, they ram it into yeah, the, so the big, front of it. Definitely, they ram it into the yeah. massive. It's just like, just stop yeah. it. come on, come on. Um, yeah, I don't know what, what, what's your 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 final thoughts on this? Fun, fun, but inessential. That's good. I think. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, I as I say, I'm just shocked that I didn't. I, I'm, I'm more shocked at myself. For not liking it as much, I thought this was going to like really espouse this one and get really into this. Uh, but I'm 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 still shocked, and it's very recent. I saw it as well. I saw, just literally saw it this afternoon. So it's um, I feel ashamed as a Trekkie not to like this as much as I thought I did. <laughs> I don't know, I'm learning new stuff about myself every day. <laughs> it's fine. There's nothing. There's nothing worse. We, I think I'm sure we talked about this on earlier shows. There's nothing worse than fans that just blindly like something because it's got a name on it. So yeah, it's all good. Uh, Don't I've, beat yourself I've, up I've too got, much. I've got other ones to. Uh, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to get going to feel really dirty watching some of the other ones and not in a good way. There were there's worse ones yeah. than this. So don't panic. Don't panic yourself yet, Dave. You're okay. You're okay. <laughs> Next one though, I'm looking really looking forward to now. Really looking forward to this is yeah. This is one of my childhood oh, favourites cool. for sure. I think because it is certainly Star Trek for the Voyage Home is certainly one of the more probably the most family friendly entry um, in the series. I would say. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's the one that introduced the uh, the idea that uh, there is no money in the Star Trek future. That's the big one. Uh, for some reason, I remember that more than anything else. Um, it's a perhaps a rehash of the first Star Trek film in story. Um, but it's 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 the comedy one. I think that's that's universally yeah. accepted. It's like a, a fish out of water comedy, which I don't think is what anyone expected from uh, from Star yeah. Trek Four, to be honest. But <laughs> uh, and that's Star Trek Four: The uh, Voyage Home, which we'll be discussing on the next uh, Babylon and Deep Dive special extravaganza with Paul Anderson from Strangers in a Cinema. Uh, got it right, yes. Um, yes cool well, thanks again Paul and uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks and uh, stay tuned alright thanks a lot guys take care thank you guys